Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. Sports Talk Mississippi. (laughs) On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Thursday afternoon with you at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, thanks for being with us. This is a day that is supposed to almost feel like a national holiday. It is a celebration, usually, of the beginning of March Madness, the first full day of the NCAA tournament with games that got started at 11 o'clock this morning and go until about midnight. We do the exact same thing tomorrow, and then we get into the one, of the, uh, one of the most fun weekends in all of sports with the uh, second-round games. But none of that is to be. That's uh, what would have been if not for the times that we are living in right now. And so instead, March 19th is just another Thursday with no sports on the calendar for the foreseeable future. Richard Cross, uh, I told you who we were already. Glad to have you along you can text the show, Ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Don't forget about Ceasefire Health. Avoid the wait, try again, avoid the waiting room with Ceasefire Health. Download the telehealth app today and get treated by UMMC clinicians right from your phone. Now just $29 per visit for everyone with Ceasefire Health. Anyone in Mississippi can get treatment for non-emergency conditions you can even have your prescription sent to your local pharmacy. Download Ceasefire Health, the app, and try it today for just $29 per visit. Learn more at ceasefirehealth.com. I didn't mean to sound ominous right out of the gate, Borky, but I guess it kind of did when I phrased things the way that I did. Well, Oops. It, it's kind of, of that time, though. I mean, it's, it's really setting in. Uh, look, we missed our baseball. Uh, of course we did, but... This day, when you wake up in the mornings, like sports fan Christmas, you know, and you don't have to wait that long to where you're at work doing nothing at all. Like it might as well have been a national holiday because everybody's got the stream up and you know brackets and everything, and it's just all kind of kind of gone. I don't know what people that aren't sports fans do this time of year. I can't figure it out. You could make that argument for any time of year, other much, than the, yeah. the complete middle of the summer when all you've got going is Major League Baseball and everybody's kind of getting ready for the start of the college football season. Uh, yeah, that's probably the closest that those of us who are big time sports fans, hey Dad, uh, get to feeling like uh, you know the people who don't do sports. Period. Uh, but it is kind of strange to think about. There are some people who go through life like this where they are not dependent on the sports calendar. No, you're right. I mean, they're. People like my wife, who, like you said, this is just another Thursday. It would totally be that for her outside of doing her company's uh, multi-million dollar uh, bracket competition. But she wouldn't really even keep up with it. She would she would rely on me for that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not one of those people, though, Richard. I'm a person who really needs the sports calendar to keep things going. Otherwise, I'm just, I feel like everything's just starting to run together. Yeah. Wait, your wife's company has a multi-million dollar bracket competition? So or her or, or company was that hyperbolic. No, no, her company is uh, 
uh, a subsidiary of Berkshire Hathaway. So okay. they uh, they have a thing where if you do a it's, it's got to be it's something ridiculous, but like if you uh, do a perfect bracket, you get a million dollars a year for the rest of your life. And they only do that for employees of the company. Yeah. Wow. So we've seen yeah, a few then, of those like that were run through ESPN where there was a sponsor tied to them where if you had a perfect bracket, you won a million dollars or $10 yeah. million. But this is what they do internally. Everybody fills out a bracket, and you get a million bucks for life if you have a perfect bracket. Right, and then they have something else where like whoever has the best overall bracket gets like ten grand or something. Wow. At the end of it's, it. Uh, so. Good good to, uh, good to work for uh, Warren Buffett, I suppose. Yes, it is, yeah. Rippy, what's up on a Thursday? Saw a uh, another podcast up this morning, right? No, we go Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That's right. It was yesterday that I saw it posted. I'm sorry. Went and got some light bulbs today. It's been a big day. Light bulbs? Yeah, I needed them for my room. So I went up to Home Depot, which was there was no one in the store. So you were able to practice social distancing while shopping? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I tried not to, like... Like go to places if I don't need to or whatever, but like I was I was down to one lamp in the room, so it was getting a little weird in there. A little uh, eerie, so, huh? Yeah, so I went there. The uh, guy helping me out tried to grab the light bulbs for me. I was like, "Whoa, pandemic, bro!" And I grabbed it myself. Did you actually say pandemic, bro? No, but he caught the picture. I was like, "No, no, 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 no." I'm I'm good. I'm good. Uh, we certainly need to uh, get this out there in case you have missed it uh, throughout the course of the day, whether you haven't gotten a text message from your local school district or an email or haven't been listening to uh, Super Talk Mississippi today. Governor Tate Reeves signed an executive order earlier today closing all schools in Mississippi until April 17th. Obviously, that is a target date, uh, but for now, all schools are closed for, until April 17th, so a little less than a month from today. He made that announcement on Facebook Live and encouraged everyone to not use this time to take a vacation or to be reckless to try to stay home and practice social distancing and all of those things. I know a bunch of school districts across the state of Mississippi are uh, are still in the process of either preparing or getting ready to roll out next week. Uh, some online-based learning uh, teachers have been in touch with parents and with students through emails and uh at least where we live, uh, I know those plans are, are going into effect and they start on Monday. Just kind of quick sampling. Hey, Dad, similar in Starkville, do you guys have that coming up in the uh, in the next few days or week or so? I believe that is the case, yes. We've been doing some of the uh, – you know, there's, there's a lot of websites and stuff already available for kids, and we've been putting them through that the past few days, uh, you know, making them read and things of that nature. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would imagine there's some official stuff coming down the pipe very soon. I, I guess we're in a little bit of a uh, a good situation. So my mother-in-law, and, and we've just kind of picked up and moved to my in-law's house, which we decided we thought was the, the best plan. It was either almost kind of move in with them and stay or not see them for an extended period of time. And I, the kids love it out there. They've got a little more room to uh, to roam around and get outside and do some things. So we've stayed out there. But my mother-in-law is a retired fourth-grade teacher, and uh, so she and my wife have kind of been creative in trying to kind of put together some, uh, you know, semi-school days. And uh, Ava Montgomery, our oldest daughter, who is, uh, she is very much, she likes to be in charge, and I, I don't know if that's a character flaw or if that's a, a benefit or what. I guess we'll see how that plays out over the next decade or so. But she kind of likes to play the role of teacher, mother hen type deal. And so 
on the window on a great big poster board, there is a school schedule that posted. School starts at 9.45, and then, you know, at 10.30, there's a, a short break for, like, a, a small outdoor recess, and then they come back, and then there's a lunch break in there, although I think she initially forgot to put lunch in there. My wife said, um, do, do you not want to eat? And she's like, oh, oh, I forgot about that. So I think school starts at 9.45 and then ends at, like, one thirty or one forty-five each day. Uh, so, you know, trying to make the uh, the most of that along the way. So, uh, obviously, creativity is uh, is important. Just keep loving on your kids. Uh, if you are like us, and hey, Dad, my guess would be like you as well, there have been moments where everybody has wanted to uh, just run to, uh, like, a little quiet place just for a minute and uh, be like, okay, stop, stop arguing, stop fighting. We're going to be in this for a long time. Yeah, luckily with me, though, my kids are a little older, so I don't have to supervise every waking moment of, of them. They, you know, they have their yeah. own sort of – they're starting to develop their own lives a little bit. But, yeah, it's it's just, it's definitely odd. And, and I was told – I believe my wife is going to start working from home on uh, on Monday. So all my quiet time has been taken away from me, Richard. I'm, I'm going to be a wreck. There you, uh, there you go. Uh, Borky, you put this news in here as well, and uh, I think this is uh, this is fascinating. The FDA is working to approve the use of chloroquine, which is typically used for malaria, to be prescribed to help treat coronavirus. A recent controlled test in Europe claims that it has a 100% success rate. Uh, it, uh, being in circulation for a few decades, allow us to use it in mass without uh, without worry. Uh, based on side effects and whatnot. So that is potentially good news. Yeah, I was watching that press conference earlier uh, with the head of the FDA. They they mentioned two, uh, believe it or not, two potential uh, what would be uh, treatments or cures, one of which is going through clinical trials and it's newly developed, so we won't know until the end of April uh, whether or not that's viable. But this one is, is fascinating. So they did this clinical trial in France and they tested 40 they did 40 tests and it was 40 for 40 and treating and curing the coronavirus and so now because of the checks and balances we have placed in our country the FDA is not just going to start mass distributing it if it doesn't actually treat coronavirus so they're doing their own clinical test but it should be done much sooner since we know we have the drug we have access to it and we know that it won't harm you if you take it so potentially good news out there uh, pending the results of this FDA clinical trial on this malaria drug. So President Trump said that he had directed the U.S. FDA to investigate whether chloroquine, which is available by prescription only, should be given to patients with the virus. Bear, uh, who is the international drug maker, noted in a press release that it would donate 3 million tablets of the drug uh, Resichin, or Resichin, which is chloroquine phosphate so anyway sorry i've, I've now gone farther down the uh, the rabbit hole than i probably should with my limited not only knowledge but uh, medical vocabulary take a quick time out we got some fun stuff i think to get to with you this afternoon we'll be right back we've got a busy afternoon coming up with you on the mississippi farm bureau phone line We'll talk with Deuce McAllister in about 15 minutes or so. Free agency stuff in the NFL, NFC South, what the Saints have done, more Drew Brees, all of those topics on board. Mississippi State Athletics Director John Cohen will join us to start the 4 o'clock hour. And then in the 5 o'clock hour, 
We'll talk with uh, Richard Williams, former head basketball coach at Mississippi State, and since this is the day that would have been the start of the NCAA tournament, thought it might be fun to kind of walk down memory lane from that uh, that magical run in 1996 where Mississippi State got all the way to the Final Four. Uh, we'll look at kind of the uh, the path that they took to that point and uh, maybe have some fun with him in that conversation as well. Told you earlier, you can uh, text us on the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. Again, 601-879-4395. Thanks for being with us, making us part of your afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Um, still don't have final confirmation on Tom Brady to the uh, – Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but it feels as if that's just a matter of time. They're working out contract language and whatever's got to be uh, got to be done there. Uh, so we will uh, we'll get to it a bit. Um, C Spire text line. Some of uh, your talks. Uh, let's see, Richard. Thought you would get a good laugh out of this. My daughter that is in kindergarten asked me this morning, Daddy, how long are we going to be out of school for coronation? After just about laughing until I cried, I finally answered her and said, Honey, I'm not sure. Kids know exactly what's going on, sometimes more than we know. Love the show. That's from Spence and Brookhaven. Coronacation, probably only through the eyes and the mouth of a kindergartner, can we call it that? But that's beautiful, Spence. I love that. I that was a Red that. Hot Chili Peppers song. Oh, oh man, you stole it. That <laughs> joke was coming. Good job. Did you guys see on Twitter last night somebody rewrote the lyrics to Bohemian Rhapsody and called it Corona Rhapsody? No. You really need to search it. It's the it's the hardest that I've laughed, and you can't read the lyrics without reading the lyrics to the tune of the song in your head, and it is hilarious. Should we make a, a quick audible on Rippy Reed's rap and start the first reading being that yeah, maybe so. I'll have to uh, I'll have to go back and find it on Twitter, and uh, we can uh, can get to that coming up in uh, in just a little while. I figured out uh, his first song by the way. In general, FCC friendly. Not that that stopped me before, but me reading rap seems dangerous. I'm going to edit the lyrics. Uh, I, I I asked Will, the program director, a, a dividing line, and he gave me a particular word that that is the that that's your dividing line. As you can say, anything that's better than that but that word or worse you can't say so i've got my line and i've already picked the first song and it's going to be black and yellow by wiz khalifa that'll be rippy reed's rap's first song (laughs) i've actually seen wiz khalifa in concert believe it or not oh good Uh, so you'll be familiar did did you go to the uh when he was at uh the pavilion no he was at the uh, hangout festival in circa 2014 wild time the hang is that the deal in Orange Beach? Yeah, it is. Wow, I didn't know that that was your scene. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd call it my scene, but uh, you know, I was young and adventurous at that time. I so had fun per- though; it was a pretty good time. The person on Twitter that did this was Dana J. Bine or Bean, D A N A J A Y B E I N. That's the uh, Twitter handle. He tweeted this, uh, I guess it was at 11 a.m. yesterday. I've lost my mind. I wrote Coronavirus Rhapsody. 
I'm not going to sing it, but I'll give you just a little bit of it, and uh, you can find it and sing it to yourself. Is this a sore throat? Is this just allergies? Caught in a lockdown? No escape from reality? Don't touch your eyes. Just hand sanitize quickly. <laughs> I'm just a poor boy. No job security because of e- easy spread, even though washed your hands laying low. I look out the window. The curve doesn't look flatter to me, to me. And it goes on and on. <laughs> you said you weren't going to sing, but but you did. No, I didn't sing. I just read it. There was there there was a there was a note that you held in there. Yeah, I know. I couldn't I couldn't help when I got to. Uh... <laughs> I'm just a poor boy facing mortality. He's just a poor poor boy facing mortality. Spare him his life from this monstrosity. Do 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 do. Do we, do we headbang when we get to a certain point? Bismillah, no, we will not wash our hands. Wash your hands. Bismillah, <laughs> no, we will not wash your hands. Wash your hands. Oh, goodness, goodness, goodness. Uh, it's like, are there any other parts of it that I should? Oh, mama mia, mama mia. COVID-19 has a sickness put aside for me, for me. <laughs> So, so now you've lied about not singing it and not reading the whole well, thing. Well, uh, I just can't. Uh, I just can't stop. I got you. Uh, <laughs> wow. So check that out and amuse yourself. Obviously, I amused myself with it last night. My wife was uh, only amused by my amusement, and maybe perhaps now you are amused as well. Uh, that is floating. There are creative people out there, right? And uh, a lot of creative people with a lot of time on their hands. Uh, Darius Slay. That name ring a bell? Hey, Dad? It does. He is getting big paid after a trade between the Lions and the Eagles. The uh, Detroit Lions got a third round and fifth round pick for Darius Slay. He then turned around and signed a three-year, $50 million deal with the Detroit... uh, I'm sorry, with the Philadelphia Eagles. Detroit gave him up. He is now the highest-paid cornerback in the NFL. How about that? We could be, if, if things go well for Dak, could be on the verge of Mississippi State having the highest-paid defensive lineman, cornerback, and quarterback in the uh, NFL. Yeah, I don't know who's in charge of fundraising, but probably would, uh, you know, once Phone we get calls past need the, to be made. the yeah. uncertain times, uh, kind of talk to... Uh, uh, those guys, uh, all of them playing under Dan Mullen. Mm-hmm. And uh, so would you have believed this was in Darius Slay's future, watching him play at Mississippi State? He's I knew good. he was very, 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 very good. But you got to remember, he also, you know, his senior year, he's playing next to Jonathan Banks, who wins the Thorpe Award. So right. if you had told me, hey, fast forward, you know, eight years, and a Mississippi State quarterback cornerback is going to be the highest paid corner in the league. I would have thought, okay, so Jonathan Banks had a good pro career. I would not have thought that Slay uh, was going to be that guy. But I knew he was very good. And but he has been as good as he was in college. He has been a much much better pro. He has, and uh, he is now a wealthy defensive back in the uh, in the NFL. Todd Gurley has been waived or cut, I guess I should say. By the uh, the Rams. By cutting him today, and today was their deadline, 
they saved ten and a half million dollars. So ten and a half million that they did not have to pay to uh, Todd Gurley, but they cut him, and he's now open. He's out on the open market and can just go get whatever he can get from whoever he can get it. They cut him, they cut Clay Matthews, and they're about to trade Brandon Cooks. What are they doing? I mean, look, I know the deal was bad and he hasn't been the same, but they're just kind of offloading some guys right now. Yeah. But this goes to show like what Austin said yesterday. The Titans, it's a big risk, as good as Derrick Henry is to give him some kind of long-term guaranteed money deal. Because here's your warning. Outside of Zeke Elliott, the five, the four or five running backs behind him have all been cut or traded. Giving running backs big money is just not working. So they've it's something they've got to navigate. You know, the Rams and the Chiefs played in that ridiculous Monday night game two seasons ago. The Rams go ahead, you know, obviously, we're not going to talk too much about the NFC Championship game, but the Rams make the Super Bowl the next year. And you're thinking those two teams might be on the verge of fighting it out for some championships over the next decade. Chiefs win this year, but the Rams have completely blown it up. What what an incredible life-comes-at-you-fast kind of moment. Speaking of a life-comes-at-you-fast moment, can we use this as the poster child example for stay your rear end at home and leave people alone? On Saturday, this past Saturday... At Oaklawn in Hot Springs, big racing deal. Sean Payton was there to watch some horse races and shook a bunch of hands and did some TV interviews. And today, Sean Payton was diagnosed as coronavirus positive. How many people did he infect? That was five days ago. He had it then, most likely. Most likely it was in his system then. Or maybe that's where he picked it up. Who knows? Stay home! Sports Talk Mississippi. Deuce McAllister will join us next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey on this Thursday afternoon, weekend just around the corner, and it's going to be a weekend that feels a lot like every other day has felt uh, at this point. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com, and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Deuce McAllister on your radio right now. Deuce, hope you and uh, your family are doing well. Weird times we're living in. Strange, weird times indeed, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess the new normal, we're just doing as best as possible right now, and just trying to get through it like everybody else. Yeah, and I guess the uh, the newest news in the sports world outside of free agency is the fact that uh, Sean Payton has now tested positive for coronavirus as well. How about that? I mean, that is, uh, that's something in itself. Um, you know, uh, this is something that is not immune to any one individual. Um you know, pretty much any person um, can contract this virus. So it's something that we all have to uh, kind of take heed of and be aware of. And, um, you know, the I guess the, the scary part of is the, the scary part of the, the whole situation is, you know, it's something that you can't necessarily see. 
And yeah. so you don't know when it's being transmitted, et cetera. So I, I think that's scary in itself. But uh, definitely we're thinking about Coach Payton as he tries to um, fight through and kind of recover from this situation. But that kind of tells you as well, even from an age range, uh, you know, it, it, it can really get anyone. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, rich or poor, football coach, school teacher, anywhere in between, healthcare worker, black, white, it uh, doesn't really matter right now. Nobody is immune to this, and uh, it is a, an unseen enemy, uh, I suppose. Um, let, let's talk about something that uh, I hope is a little more interesting and uh, is a little bit more fun. This free agency time in the NFL has been uh, has been a little wild. We've got five starting quarterbacks that are going to be in different places next year, not necessarily all of them as starters, but there's not going to be a new quarterback in New Orleans. Let's start with Drew Brees getting the uh, the deal done, a two-year, $50 million deal. It seems to be a relatively team-friendly contract. How important do you think that was to Drew to uh, to give the Saints the flexibility to, to make sure the pieces around him are in place to try and make another run or maybe another couple of runs uh, toward uh, getting that Lombardi trophy? I think really the last three contracts that Drew has done with the organization have been, in a sense, team-friendly. Uh, this contract basically matches last year's deal for he uh, when it expired. And basically what I say when I went, I mean, what I mean by that is the Saints will manipulate the cap. And it's basically kicking the can down the road a little bit. So, uh, in essence, this may be a four-year deal on paper or really a two-year deal on paper. But it, And honestly, it's only a one-year deal. And so the last couple of years, um, Drew has taken it year by year as far as his contract is concerned. And so uh, he didn't ask for a raise. He didn't, he, he didn't ask for an increase as far as the salary cap increasing. Or, you know, you want a percentage of that. I think for him, you know, hey, look, let's let's do something that makes sense for myself. Let's do something that makes sense for the team. And, you know, that's kind of where they were. And what was important was they had to get this deal done uh, yesterday, Wednesday, or the dead cap space that, uh, accumulated from the last deal would have hit the books as well as any new deal that he did. So that is not going to be the case. They still do have dead cap space, but it will be uh, prorated or or kicked kick down the road with those avoidable years that they did add on the contract. Deuce, I've asked you about this before, and, and I don't remember specifically your answer, so uh, I'd love to get your insight because you've got a, a pretty good idea of how the business of the NFL works. But, but remember a couple of years ago we had the Saints you know, giving up a bunch of draft picks and just kind of moving pieces around, and, and we talked about the fact that at some point you have to pay up. You kind of have to pay the piper. You have to take your lumps and, and kind of get back into a position where you've got assets to trade and you're kind of building those assets and all those things. At least in theory, that's the case. So maybe sticking with the in theory idea, can you kick the can down the road forever? I mean, as long as you keep putting it off and putting it off, putting it off, or does there come a point where you have to kind of take your lumps for a year or two just to get things back right? You you have to take your lumps for a year or two to get them back right. But the thing that you hope, if that's what you're going to do, is that you have young, cheap talent, and, and that's probably not the correct term, but you have young talent that are on their first contract. Let's call it young young guys that are um, first-year, second-year, third-year players. Because now I'm not relying on veterans and or uh, kicking the can has been done. So I have a young quarterback. He is into his second year or second big 
big contract. So his salary allows me to maybe eat up some cap space uh, as far as dead years or, um, you know, money that's been kicked down the, the road a little bit. That's how teams are able to do it. And the other thing that the Saints have been able to watch and to be able to do is um, they've done it where they knew that the salary cap was increasing. There will be a huge jump next year in the salary cap once this new yeah. TV deal is done. And so when you talk about percentage of a contract and how much huh. dead cap space there is, it really, in, in, in essence, won't really matter because the salary cap will have increased by 10 or $15 million. And so uh, that that's what the Saints have kind of played with and been able to um, – kind of say, okay, yes, the salary cap is going to rise by another $5 million, another $7 million, another $10 million, and that's how they've been able to stay successful or at least you know, be able to compete while Drew is uh, still the quarterback. All right, let's talk about Taysom Hill. So we knew it was a crowded quarterback room, and, and you knew that the Saints weren't going to be able to keep all three of those guys. Teddy Bridgewater goes to Carolina. You can't help but he, be happy for him given the kind of the road that he has taken. He certainly was an important piece for the Saints. Taysom Hill was an important piece last year as well. We get the quote from him a couple of weeks ago where he's saying that you know he thinks he's a starting quarterback in the NFL. Uh, I happen to disagree with that. I, I don't know what your personal feelings are one way or the other, he gets this first round tender. How is this going to go with Taysom Hill? What what's uh, what are other teams thinking about when they look at him, especially in a time where it doesn't look like there are a lot of spots open for start, starting quarterbacks? I think it would have to be a fit. And 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 do we have somebody maybe young that can step in if it doesn't work for a Taysom? Uh, you're you're particularly talking about a team that maybe has multiple first round picks, and or a team that has a young quarterback that they don't want to kind of throw out there yet, but we're willing to maybe sacrifice a one or, you know, it doesn't just have to be a one. They can engage New Orleans for maybe a player and a second rounder. You know, they can engage New Orleans for uh, some type of package. It doesn't have to be just a pure one. Now, if they do sign them to a contract, then yes, it's a pure one, but they can, they can get creative when you talk about engaging the Saints and seeing the Saints have true, true interest. And so, um, for me, I, I, I need to see another offseason. I needed to see another offseason with him being able to go out and perform and work and, this really hurts a player like him because he needs that time to be able to develop, you know, and, 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 and he's not the only player. I mean, you think about some of those young players that won't, uh, and, and this is referencing the virus, but you think about some of those young players that won't get an opportunity to really hmm. be around coaches, be around to be able to go through a, 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 a an off-season workout. Man, that's going to hurt. And so if you're a veteran guy, you kind of know what you have to do. Um but if you're a young player and you wanted to take that next step, not getting those reps is definitely going to hurt you. All right, so help me understand again. This is kind of business of the NFL, and we'll wrap up here. The whole first-round tender, that puts the Saints in a win-win spot, right? I mean, if they lose Taysom Hill, they get a first-round pick in exchange, but they're also okay with signing him to the number that's kind of associated with that first-round tender. Is that accurate? That is correct, which is right now $4 million, and that goes directly against the cap. If they are able to work out a long-term deal, then obviously his cap number would be lowered. Uh, but another team could engage the Saints on possibly a trade, but it would have to include a player 
and a pick for the Saints. Uh, any team can go and just sign a contract with Taysom. Saints don't like that contract. They don't want to match it. They get that team's first rounder. Another team could engage the Saints. Hey, look, we're interested in him, but we don't want to give up first rounder. How about you take player X and uh, maybe a second rounder or a third rounder or a third this year and a third next year? That may be a way, if the Saints are interested, uh, that they could get a facilitator trade as well. Fascinating time. I mean, you could literally spend months studying the business rules of the NFL and maybe still not understand all of it, but it's it's awfully fascinating the way, fascinating the, way the league does business. Yeah, it's definitely interesting and intriguing and a, and a, and a changing model, uh, to say the least. I told you we were done. Last thing, just give me a quick thought on this new collective bargaining agreement that's going into place, adding a 17th game but also reducing the number of preseason games. Personally, not a good deal for me, personally. And that's because of the disability rules. But the guys that played and, and, and before me, pre-92, I'm extremely happy and proud for those guys. Now, some of them, it did hurt from a disability standpoint, some of those individuals. Uh, but some of the uh, the HRA for 50000 does have access to that. And then their increase in pensions. I'm happy for some of the young men, that, uh, the gentlemen that, that laid the groundwork for what the NFL is now. But for me personally, it wasn't a very good deal. That's another case, gotcha. another story, something for us to talk about, though. Well, I look forward to talking to you soon because all anybody, you know, kind of in our business is looking at is an extra game, and uh, there's a whole lot more to that deal. Thanks so much for your time, Deuce. Always enjoy our visits. All right, no problem. Thanks, Richard. Deuce McAllister on the Farm Bureau phone line. We'll take a quick time out and be right back. AIM Sports Talk Mississippi. Sometimes in an interview, you just start scratching the surface, and then you're like, oh, I want to talk about that. And then the music starts, and you got to go to a commercial break. we got to get Deuce back on soon. I thought he brought up a really, uh, a really good point that has flown under the radar with regard to the new collective bargaining agreement. Because at the surface level, all we've talked about is 17th game, salary caps going up, your preseason games, et cetera, et cetera. There was a ton in that CBA that affected people that had played in the NFL years ago in terms of their pension and their retirement and their medical disability and all those things. You heard Deuce say he was glad for the guys that played pre-1992 and kind of laid the groundwork for the modern NFL because those pensions and the, the insurance and some of the disability stuff is going to go up pretty dramatically for them. Uh, in a way that uh, they've not been taken care of in the past. But for kind of the interim guys, it's not necessarily as good. So the guys that played between, you know, 1992 and, what, the early 2000s, I guess it was, uh, there's a lot more in that that I think we can get into and kind of talk. And and I think a lot of us can learn some stuff there. Absolutely. And – and that, I guess that's kind of our fault, but not really, because we see all the, the the bright lights, right? Our eyes are distracted by the the additional game and the new playoff team. And I mean, I I had an opportunity to read it all. Like I clicked on a link that had the entire thing there. And to be honest with you, I got like half a page through it and thought, I am completely wasting my time because the legal jargon that you have to read through to get to all that stuff, 
I just I got bored with it and had to continue on uh, preparing for the show. So I, I should have continued further because I'd be able to. Oh, it's a grind. It's awful. I mean, I, I've. I have a better appreciation for lawyers because of how much of everybody else's time they waste with how they write. It's amazing. Hmm. Yeah, there is. It's like, could we put this in layman's terms? It's like yeah. you've got to write in legalese to be able to defend it in court or something. What they I, I should don't. do, NCAA documents, contracts, collective bargaining agreements, whatever, they should format them all like the Daily Mail does. Like, there's an article there, but they'll give you the six or seven bullet points that you need. You don't even have to scroll further. Just, this means this, 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 and this. Thank you, Daily Mail. Don't even have to read the quotes. I'm good. Yeah. And, and then if you like what the bullet points at the beginning of a Daily Mail article say, you're like, okay, I'll go ahead and scroll through and read the article, and you realize you're just basically reading the bullet points all over again. Pretty much, yeah. Um, so it's... Uh, what one way to uh, to look at that? Uh, C Spire text line is open six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. C Spire customer inspired. Borky poll question for the day is what? What is weirder? Michael Jordan in a Washington Wizards jersey, or Tom Brady in a Tampa Bay Bucks jersey? Oh. Jordan in a non-Bulls jersey, Tom Brady in a non-New England Patriots jersey. I heard somebody suggest yesterday, uh, it may have been it may have been on the PFT podcast, I don't remember exactly, maybe it was somewhere else that I was listening uh, throughout the uh, the course of the day, that you know everybody's getting new uniforms, or you got a bunch of new uniform designs that are coming out this year. All of the early 2000s USFL look NFL uniforms should all go away. Like the Broncos should go back to the royal blue helmet with the D with the horse jumping through it and the orange jerseys. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers should go back to the cream sickles with the swashbuckling pirate on the helmet on the white helmet. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles should go back to the uh, Randall Cunningham era Philadelphia Eagles uniforms. What are the others that fall into that category? The Rams have already sort of, sort of already done that, haven't they? they went yeah, back they're to the, shifting uh, back to it. Yeah. Their new um, logo is garbage, though. What, the Jets with the green helmet? Is that is that Would that be one? The Atlanta Falcons well, yeah, I mean, with the black helmet and the black uni? Yeah, they need to go back oh, they to go, that. They can go back even further than that, go back to the red helmet and the red uni. Ooh. Yeah, those are great Falcons uniforms. Yeah, like the, the Jets. I mean, you're talking about going back to the green helmet with the eagle wings on the side of the helmet yeah they went back to the green helmet this year just not the wings would you do you like the giant the giants are kind of in throwback mode with ny on the side of it there are some people that prefer the like 80s 90s look where it was like the all caps giants with the underline i actually like the ny better than the i could go either way on that to be honest with you we get the right answer on the text line the miami dolphins yeah, the Dolphins need to go back to their old school. Though they kind of have in some ways, haven't they? They wear those ones with the triple stripe on the sleeve pretty often now. They need to do Have the it. full thing, get the helmet back. To me, the worst, you, you may think I'm crazy, the worst looking jersey in the NFL, and it's only used occasionally, is when the Cowboys do like the, the white sleeve cap. Yeah. Uniforms. 
It's yeah. so bad. Cowboys have one of the best, most classic. And I love it when the Cowboys wear the Navy jersey with the silver pants. That looks fantastic. But uh, the, the Navy with the white caps on oh, that's gross. Uh, John Cohen, AD at Mississippi State, joins us after a quick timeout on the Farm Bureau phone line as we begin hour number two. Back with you, 4 o'clock hour, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Let's go right back to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. John Cohen, Athletics Director at Mississippi State, joins us right now. And, John, this is not what we were supposed to be doing today. We were supposed to be uh, talking about college basketball. Hopefully, uh, Mississippi State is part of the NCAA tournament after a big run in Nashville last week. Uh, I talked with Jeremy McLean at Southern Miss earlier this week and, and asked him, I said, I guess there's not really a, a manual to deal with the uncertain times that we've got going right now. How are you dealing with this on a day-to-day basis? Well, I, I will tell you guys, I um, th- this has certainly been an educational experience for me. Um, it's uh, it's one of those moments where you say, if it can happen, it probably will. You know, Murphy's Law type situation. But um, I, I just I take a lot of solace in the fact that we have tremendous leadership here at Mississippi State under Mark Keenum. He's just done a remarkable job, and quite frankly. Uh, you know, Greg Sankey at the SEC is outstanding as well. So lots of conference calls, lots of connecting with our coaches and our staff, um, lots of conference calls with the SEC, um, uh, committee calls, things of that nature. Um, we don't have all the answers, but we have a lot of people working very hard. I'm curious if those calls are are that much different than maybe the conversations that are happening, you know, among families and friends and coworkers on a day to day basis. Or, or do you feel like you guys are privy to, to maybe a little more information than the general public is getting? What's kind of the the context of those calls? Well, certainly a lot of the calls. You know, the, the Southeastern Conference doesn't run college athletics. Um, and nor does Mississippi State University. What, what we are allowed to do is have an opinion, and we're allowed to, to, to formulate our, our thoughts and uh, and share those with others. You know, it's the old expression. You know, uh, more heads are, you know, better than one. And uh, so um, that's kind of where it is. Um, I think we, we're all in, in agreement with some things that need to happen in the future. The question is, how do you get there? And, and what are the un, unintended consequences? Those are the things you always have to look for. Uh, let, let's talk about baseball for a second because, uh, obviously, it's such a big deal in the state of Mississippi. People care about it so much. You, you have a baseball background as well. Uh, we've seen the NCAA say that, okay, there's going to be a year of eligibility restored, but is that just for seniors? Do you do that for everybody? Uh, obviously, it's an equivalency sport roster management issues, roster size issues, who gets how much scholarship money. So I know those are all questions that have to be answered, but how do you go about starting to kind of go through those? And and maybe at this point of the process, what's your inclination? How do we need to address baseball in specific? Well, congratulations. You just became a member of the Division One Baseball Committee. Uh, did, you just did, did I, I hit all the right buzzwords? <laughs> Um, again, lots of questions, not as many answers as we want at this point in time. Uh, this is really complicated, and it's complicated because college baseball is complicated. Not, not to undermine softball or any, 
or, or track or, or tennis or any of the other spring sports. And we want all of them, all those sports to get their, their fair shake. And we want them to get a year of eligibility back, all those kids. Um, the baseball thing is complicated for two reasons. It's, it's complicated because of um, the draft. And, of course, now all of a sudden we're reading articles. You don't know if there's any validity to the articles or not about, you know, is there going to be a major league draft? So that's a complicating factor. Um, the, the other thing about baseball, of course, is, you know, you have the 27 kids sharing. It's the only sport that has limits on rosters um, in terms of the overall roster and the roster that's allowed to have scholarship aid. Um, so those are the two things that, that make it a little bit uh, more difficult to deal with. But um, I would love to see all those kids get an additional year. Um, I would love to see nobody penalized, you know, from their scholarship, the, the incoming freshmen who signed in the fall or the kids who are currently on rosters around the country. Um, I, that's what I would like to see. But, again, there's an expense there. Um, and, I, and I understand that, you know, hey, I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of baseball schools around the country who don't even have 11.7 scholarships. So, again, it's complicated. Uh, we have really smart people working on it. We're not going to have nothing. It's going to be perfect. Um, somebody's going to be really disappointed with the uh, decisions that are made, but that, that seems to always be the case. And uh, I, I think the people who are making these decisions are going to do the very best they can. In terms of managing your baseball roster, so, so we were talking about scholarships and having to divide those up. By this point in the process, would the recruits that have committed to you and you've committed to them, would they have a pretty good idea of how much scholarship money they're going to get? Or would that be after the draft happens and you're certain as to who's going to leave and who's going to come back? Well, of course, normally, you know, when you sign in the fall, um, there's a, a financial aid agreement that is made with the National Letter of Intent. intent. So, um you know exactly how much scholarship aid you're going to get because it's written down. Um, okay. But moving forward, it's, it's pretty easy to say that if you give everybody another year of eligibility um, on a baseball team or any team, and then you add the, the signing class that's coming in, those two numbers are not going to equal 11.7 in most cases. Um, so again, a little tricky. Um, can it be worked out? Yes. Will it be perfect? Absolutely no. Wow. And it's it really is crazy. I mean, you, you alluded to it a second ago. The, the more you talk about it, the more questions pop up. John Cohen visiting with us, athletics director at, uh, at Mississippi State. Uh, Greg Sankey said in his teleconference yesterday that the league was planning as if the 2020-2021 academic year was going to happen. What are the contingency plans that you're putting in place right now if this coronavirus outbreak and, and the kind of the quarantines and everybody being delayed, what if it goes longer? So, so what are you doing in terms of contingency to, to be ready regardless of the outcome? Well, that's, that's a great question. Of course, at the university level, we're, like most schools, we're, we're uh, fully invested in distance learning at this point in time to make sure our kids get through their classes and they can get the best educational opportunities possible um so i think i i think that's a big part of it um you, you know if, if you don't have if you don't have intercollegiate athletics next fall you know i i really it's so hard to even guess and you asked a great question i think we're all asking ourselves that question 
And I think we're all at the point now where we're trying to look at this uh, from a glass half full perspective, that right. we are going to have intercollegiate athletics next fall. If you don't, yeah, I think it causes a variety of issues. Um, and I, you know, I, I think it's really hard to, to you know, to just uh, even guess what, what that leads to. John, you, you and I have had discussions before about you know financial policies, and, and you've said to me, look, we have to be creative. We have to do things a little bit differently than maybe they're done at, at Georgia or at Florida or at you know, where, Texas A&M, wherever. So when you're planning financially and you don't know exactly what the payout is going to look like from the television deal this year because of maybe some lost revenue there – and you're not entirely sure about ticket sales because of the uh, uncertainty, H- how do you even begin to budget for that? It's very difficult. I will say this, though. If you, you know, if you look at Larry Templeton and Greg Burner, Scott Strickland, one of the things that, that kind of, I believe that the athletic directors over a long period of time as you say have done is that they've all prepared for a rainy day uh, financially and certainly – I think that rainy day is upon us. Um, now, the question is, how long is it going to continue to rain? Um, but I, I feel very fortunate. We, we don't certainly don't have the best financial situation uh, in the, the country or, or in our league, but I, I feel like we're on solid financial ground because, you know, again, we, we had some visionary leaders in this program who have allowed us um, to, to put some things away for a rainy day. Last thing for you, the the impact on football. I mean, it, it's kind of unique, not just with Mississippi State, but with Mississippi State and Ole Miss both, in that both programs have brand-new football coaches, and this spring was going to be so vitally important for getting a new system in. Have you, have you had a conversation with Mike Leach about what that looks like if you have to fast-track it or what he would encourage you to lobby for in terms of extra practices in the summer or, or kind of how to make up for lost time in the spring? Well, I think this is one of the the great examples of having a coach who has tremendous experience. Now, now Mike Leach has never dealt with something like this, but there's not many other things that he hasn't dealt with. And one thing Mike Leach is not going to do is he's not going to panic. Uh, he has tremendous leadership skills. He's got great vision. He does understand that we have not been able to really install anything because we haven't started straight practice yet. Yeah. But he also knows exactly how long it's going to take him to install what he wants offensively and defensively. He's got a great coaching staff who's, who's preparing for that moment when they can connect with kids and, and walk through you know, football practice uh, things. And I, I think he's going to be – they're not going to miss a beat. You know, the question is, when do they get that opportunity? When do they start getting to use a football and to start installing their – their systems offensively and defensively. You can't answer that question, but I know those guys are chomping at the bit and they're ready to go. John, can't thank you enough for your time. Really appreciate you joining this afternoon, and all the best going forward. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Uh, be safe. Everyone listening, please be safe, be healthy, and uh, I hope we get to see each other real soon. Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. That's John Cohen, Athletics Director at Mississippi State, on the Farm Bureau phone line. Always the same, it's just a shame. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey on this Thursday afternoon. Just finished up a conversation with John Cohen, Athletics Director 
at Mississippi State. If you missed that or any of the show, we talked with Deuce McAllister earlier today. Richard Williams will join us later in the afternoon. You can always subscribe to the Sports Talk Mississippi podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Just search Sports Talk Mississippi to get the latest podcast on your device anywhere in your time, anytime. And while you're there, you can also subscribe to Thunder and Lightning. That's hosted by uh, Brian Haydad and Joel T. Coleman. Hey, that's me. The first The uh, Rebel Report, hosted by Brian Scott Rippey and Michael Borky, or the Eagle Hour podcast from uh, the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel. Um, hey, Dad, I thought that was there was some pretty insightful stuff there from uh, from John Cohen. What did he say that stood out to you? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, he's sort of in that same zone that we we talked about yesterday about how nothing can be set in stone. But obviously, when you talk about, we all want that extra year for these athletes who, who are going to miss this semester. But when he, the way he breaks it down there for you, it really does make you think, man, this is going to be a really complicated process. And I agree with him. At the end of it, somebody is going to be screaming that, oh, this is wrong. We were treated unfairly. And it's just going to have to be who benefit, you know, who, how can you benefit the most people? Because I don't think you can benefit everybody. Who do you think will be the entity that is screaming, we got screwed? Probably a group of five schools, if I had to guess, because that's just how life works for them for the most part. That's, I mean, it's that way. The, the, the schools that have money are going to be the schools that get looked after. What sport do you think will be screaming that? Probably baseball, because that's just the whipping boy. I mean, it's just, you know, they're already, they, like, like John said, they're the only, you know, scholarship limited straight, uh, sport. It seems unlikely the NCAA is going to just sort of show up and white knight this for them. Rippy, we, we alluded to this earlier in the week and, and it's been kind of whispered about. And I think I, I think I even said, I don't know if it was Friday of last week that the fact that important people, are talking behind the scenes. Even if they're not talking publicly about it, they're talking behind the scenes about maybe the time has come. Maybe we don't need the NCAA. Do do you believe that we're finally trending that way, or is that just a pipe dream for all of us? Uh, Probably a pipe dream. I mean... What's the reticence? What do you think the holdup is? Because academics just, lead the universities, and they're not nuanced in uh, the problems with the governing body of athletics, but they do see the amount of money that athletics bring to their school. And so they sit and think, why would I ever want to upset this apple cart when it's making us a ton of money, giving our school free advertising? What are you talking about? You want to leave this. What do you think the potential downfall is to making a change? I don't think there is one. If you can, I don't mean to, I'll use a different example. If you're Middle Tennessee leaving the NCAA, well, then there's a huge downfall. I mean, that would just, that would, that would be a mistake. But if you, the group of five, excuse me, the power five get together and leave, there's only money to be made. You're not valuable because you're under the NCAA's umbrella. You're valuable because you are a big school that plays really good football and has a few hundred thousand passionate fans scattered around the region that your state exists in. 
Uh, Ohio State doesn't need the NCAA at all. Of course not. Uh, so you could band together, and I don't think there is a downfall because they're the value in football, not the organization. Hey, Dad, do you see a downfall? No, no. The only the only downfalls that you can come up with are potential, and that I mean, what I mean by that is, well, what if you know, for whatever reason, the the, the networks aren't interested. But that seems unlikely, right? I, the only thing that could possibly happen is, you know, the NCA is an extremely powerful political entity, and you know they have a lot of exemptions. They have some antitrust stuff. They have you know a lot of things going on. Could you? Could political pressure be brought to bear where it turns out, okay, now if you're going to do this, we're going to, we are going to classify your student athletes as employees and they can unionize and you do have to, you know, where does that go? Because that's, I mean, don't, I don't think the NCAA would be above playing dirty to keep things together. No, of course they wouldn't. Um, You know, here's what's fascinating to me about the money piece of it and, and the television contracts. There's only one television contract that would be affected by this. And it's the contract for the NCAA basketball tournament. And as we have seen, the NCAA will do whatever it takes to protect its cash cow. But when you think about the other television contracts that exist, right, I mean, it's conferences that have deals with TV. With TV, Like the SEC is about to be exclusively with ESPN ABC. Fox is a combination of ESPN and Fox. I'm sorry, the Big Ten is a combination between ESPN and Fox, so Fox, FS1, etc. Um, and they've got, of course, the Big Ten Network, which also is a partnership of sorts with Fox. Um, Big 12 is the same way. I mean, they are ESPN and Fox. The you got Notre Dame as a standalone entity out there with their deal with NBC. The Pac-12 is Pac-12 Networks and Fox and some ESPN for basketball. And then the ACC is... Do they have anything with Fox at this point? Or are they all ABC ESPN? I believe that's the case. Yeah, I, I don't think, think they've right. got anything with Fox. So the ACC, they, they were holding on to a little bit of the kind of regional sports network Raycom deal, but that well, went away. Well, they have away. the ACC network now, so, yeah. Exactly. That went away with the advent of the ACC networks, or ACC network. So, you, you know what CBS Turner said to the NCAA this year? You weren't able to produce the basketball tournament that we signed up for Therefore, we're not paying you seven, eight, nine hundred million dollars this year, whatever it is. And by the way, that insurance policy that we've been talking about, Borky, it didn't cover the entire value. It only covered like two hundred fifty million dollars of the revenue. Oh, that's such a shame. Well, they had it, a rainy day fund that they used to defend themselves in court, so that was gone yeah. too. Yep, yeah, that uh, that was gone as well. Um, so, you know, from a revenue standpoint. It's there. I mean, to me, the, the, the part of this that, that is unfortunate but is reality is group of five schools. And it will be a, a very different reality for them going forward. But I think there's even an argument to be made that there's going to be some positive for group of five in, in all of this as well. In that there will now be a uh, there would be a legitimate 
football national championship that group of five schools would be playing for. There would be a better opportunity to win a basketball national championship. Would it be the same one that the the other, what, 65 or so schools are going to be playing for? No, of course it wouldn't. I guess 64 is the right number, though, isn't it? If you go to four 16-team conferences or maybe you want to go to five 12-team conferences. If 64 is the number, you have to kick somebody out. Because right now it's 64 and then there's Notre Dame. And then there's Notre Dame. Well, sorry, Ole Miss fans, you're out. Thanks, hey, Dad. Real candidate would be who? I mean, the easy answer Vanderbilt. is probably Rutgers. Vanderbilt, maybe. Uh, Wake oh, no. Forest. Honestly, Vanderbilt's won two baseball national championships in the last however many years. We want to try to get things on an even playing field here, Richard. Come on. No, no, I. Fair enough. Oh, I didn't think. But I mean, about Vanderbilt. That. I mean, you're you're talking about a school that's got a, you know, what a eighty ninety million dollar athletics budget. It's not like Vanderbilt is a has been in terms of money. Now they may have been a, be a little bit of a has been in terms of commitment and facilities. No, you're right. Uh, um, let's think through that a little bit and pull those conference websites up and, and look at those teams. But but maybe it's not that. Maybe it's you, you don't. I mean, you would like for everything to be symmetrical and. Maybe it's, I don't know, kick the ideas around and let's talk about it on the other side of this. Walter in Houston says, kick out Arkansas. Fair. Okay. You say so. Um, Sports Talk Mississippi. C Spire text line 601-879-4395. Don't forget the telehealth app at cspirehealth.com. You can find out more, download it for free, and have $29.00 telehealth visits on your phone. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. So the, the question on the table is, if you had a reshuffling of the way college sports is governed right now, and basically the Power Five broke away, You currently have 64 Power 5 teams, 14 teams from the ACC, 10 from the Big 12, 14 from the Big 10, 12 in the Pac-12, and 14 in the SEC. That's 64 teams. But then you've got Notre Dame sitting out there. I don't know. Maybe you just tell Notre Dame, look, you've made decisions over the course of time that you needed to be by yourself, so we're going to allow you to continue to be by yourself. We'll just take these 64 teams that have been willing to play ball, and we'll play ball with them. Obviously, we all know that's not going to happen. Notre Dame will be included. There's just enough stature there. There, There's enough clout and political power and money and whatnot. Notre Dame will be included. So there are two ways you can do this, right? It feels like if you're going to make this sort of a step, you really need to have an even number. right? You, You don't need to go to... 17 teams in four conferences because you'll forever have unbalanced schedules. And so you need to be at an even number. And 
you could actually make the argument that 18 is a better number for four conferences than 16 because then you could divide it into, you know, three divisions, six, six, and six, you know, within the course of or within the confines of, of the overall four leagues. So, so first question, would it be easier to cut one team that currently is in a Power 5 conference so that you could operate at 64, or would it be easier to add Notre Dame and seven others to get you to 72 teams? Do, do a roundtable here. Which which scenario do you like better, Borky? Um, I would like the cutting one better, but I think the adding teams would be easier. I just once you get past the first couple, like UCF makes a ton of sense, uh, elevating them to this level. But once you get past the first couple, then you start really stretching to get teams that fit into that mold. And maybe like in Rutgers' case. There are some teams that probably wouldn't belong there that are already there, but that's just kind of how it works sometimes. So I would like it to be cut one, streamline it, but I think the easier route is to add more teams, if that makes sense. All right, if you had to cut one, who would you cut? Rutgers. Rutgers out of the Big Ten is the team that you would cut. State University of New Jersey. Although they were about to make the NCAA tournament this year, Rutgers has no redeeming quality. I mean, you can look at... There are a few other programs, I guess, that you could find where they don't do anything well, but there is at least something in most all Power 5 programs that you can look at and think they do that well. Like, them having that sport is added value to us. Rutgers, it's football. They're awful. Basketball, they were going to make the NCAA tournament for the first time since, what was it, 1995, and they don't have a baseball team. Okay. So they just don't bring anything to the table as opposed to anybody else you could put them up against. Hey, Dad, would you cut one to make room for Notre Dame, or would you add Notre Dame plus seven more? I'm trying to think of the seven. 64 teams or 72 teams? I mean, Notre Dame, you mentioned Central Florida. South Florida has has enough going on that you could get them in. They haven't been good in football lately, but I mean they're in a big city. Could App State make it? Ooh, Memphis, that's a good one that I didn't think of. Mm. Me- Memphis, uh, okay, Cincinnati. So, so Mem- hold on a second. Let, let's put let's put App State on hold for a second. So you've gone Notre Dame, mm-hmm. UCF, USF. Mm-hmm. You included mm-hmm. Memphis. You mm-hmm. included Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Houston. Houston. BYU. SMU. Boom. I'm going That's BYU seven. over SMU, I think. I'd go App State over, over SMU, to be honest with you. As Although Richard said during Dallas. the break, though, you've got to get BYU to agree to play games on Sundays. Yeah, that, that's true. That's the only way they can be included. You, you can't yeah. have a unique scheduling model for them. Yeah. What would this do to the basketball postseason? Because this wouldn't make a ton of sense. All right, well, hold, hold tight on that just for a second. We've got to get one more team. Is it San Diego well, State? Well, he just said SMU. Okay, well, you guys were divided on SMU. No, I put them, put SMU in, I would say. Okay, so you are, with, with that scenario, you are leaving out San Diego State, you're leaving out East Carolina, you're leaving out the service academies, nobody from the MAC, uh, you're leaving Boise State out? 
I mean, Boise would be... Got to add Boise State. That's yeah, a, Bo- Boise is in over maybe... SMU? USF. Boise Ooh. State added baseball this year for the first time in 40 years, by the way. May their season rest in peace. You're going Boise State over USF? Yeah, this, this is all driven by football. By so the way, let's no Fresno the, State in there? Let's get the best teams in. Boise would, would fit that bill. No Marshall. Okay. All right, so Rippy, what's your question? Well, or what's the what's the point you were raising? What would this do to the basketball postseason? Because that wouldn't make a ton of sense. I mean, the best program in the last decade wouldn't be included in it. Who, UConn? Uh, no, Villanova. Villanova. I'm sorry, Villanova. Um, Then you invite... Well, the group okay. of five best teams to your tournament and do it that way and hold middle fingers to the NCAA. I don't know. Or or you you could you could take all of the schools, right? But for division 1 football there's only these what 72. Everybody else is playing what you want to call whatever you want to call it, FCS, Division 1, AA, Division 2, whatever it is. So all those schools now go to that net, that they're a level down for football. But for basketball, they're just all in the same way they are now. That's a really good point because you've got like so the you Southern want this Conference. to be a football decision. Period. It ha- I mean, that's what drives that's what drives the boat, right? No, those, but here's the thing: this is your opportunity to change the the unfairness that goes with college baseball. This 11.7 NCAA crap. You know what? Go away. We're giving college baseball 20 scholarships. And we're sorry if not everybody can afford to do it, but these 64 to 72 teams can't afford to do it. We're going to level the playing field. Who's to say if the Power Five broke off that the Group of Five wouldn't get together and also try to form their own governing body to host their own championships and things like that? There's no reason to think that both of these solutions can't happen together, that you can let football drive the card and make the money, that, that and it makes the money for baseball to have the scholarships you want it to have. But you still had the... I mean, look, if you rip away the Power Five and shoot the bird to the NCAA, you're not going to allow the NCAA to still do a hundred, uh, I'm sorry, a billion dollar a year deal with CBS and Turner for the college basketball tournament. Right. That's this too, this that's new too big a cartel piece of or whatever you want to call it gets to gets to set that deal. So so I don't understand where you're going where, okay, yeah, this is going to be football driven, but we'll include everybody for basketball what I'm and baseball is, tournaments. That, well, that doesn't work. For, for football driven, what I mean is to be in the top tier, you need to be a, a top tier football program. Because I so believe that's what's pull, going. But 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 again, are you going to pull everybody away from the NCAA? Yeah, and the, like I said, the the everybody else is playing football at the S, what is now currently the FCS level. Hey, I mean, your, so your Division two, Division three schools just remain where they are. Your your current FCS schools remain where you are, but you're probably adding what 50, 50 schools. Is that about right to FCS? Yeah. You know, you have to follow, like the, the entire Sunbelt Conference could just become a conference in FCS, the Southland Conference, you know, uh, most of Conference USA, things like that. They're just going to become FCS conferences. 
Good question here on the C Spire text line. What would prevent this new governing body from becoming just like the NCAA? Because presumably this new governing body would allow the players to, I mean, get money. And so you don't need an organization to arbitrarily enforce rules stopping players from getting money when they're all doing it, I guess would be the easy answer. You would just open, you, you would eliminate what the NCAA does to college football, which is govern over people breaking rules when everybody's doing it. They only can pick and choose or uh, go to places that invite them via Twitter to investigate. Now that wouldn't even be a possibility. <laughs> uh, that's going to be one of the bylaws of this new organization. Don't call out the NCAA on Twitter. Just Scott don't tweet and Clinton su- Scott and Clinton suggest um, adding the service academies. Got a note in here said, what about Southern Miss? They Sports unfortunately would drop down. Yeah. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Let's give away another couple of pairs of Leonard Skinner tickets. The response for that has been exceptional, or exceptional. I think I said exceptional, which wouldn't make any sense. Leonard Skinner will be at the Bancorp South Arena in Tupelo. The concert is now set for Friday, October 16th. Farewell tour of the legendary band, and it might be your last chance to see them Live, We're going to give away two pairs of tickets. Here's what you need to do. You need to text the words Simple Man to the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. We will take texter number 15 and number 20. So texter number 15 and number 20, you will win a pair of tickets to see Leonard Skinnerd in person at Bancorp South Arena in Tupelo on Friday October 16th, if you don't get tickets here, you can get them through Ticketmaster.com or at the Bancorp South Arena box office. So all you got to do is text Simple Man to the C Spire text line 601-879-4395. We will take the 15th and 20th responses to the text line. If, uh, I mean, I gave the number. If you want to be part of the show, you can do so on the C Spire text line. Might want to give it just a minute, though, until we get through the Simple Man tweets. <laughs> so that we can uh, can grab your text uh, as well. Uh, there was more that came out uh, last night as uh, Hey Dad's good friend Pat Forty <laughs> got an advanced look at the HBO diet. I, I love it when you laugh like that. Just a little. <laughs> a little. What? Why? <laughs> me, me and Rippy had drinks with him at, uh, at Media Days, but other than that, you know. Did you know? Yeah, he was at, what is that dive bar? I, I forget what it's called. Gabriel's? Yep. Yeah, he was oh, there with place us. place where they do karaoke? Yeah, yeah, yeah we were there, the, among we were there night one. Yeah, You yeah. guys did that, huh? We didn't do karaoke, but this was the like the first night. We just were in there you, having some. You, you, were, you weren't there on karaoke night? No. Rippy, did you go on karaoke night? Yeah, I did. <laughs> did you sing? I don't think so. We have winners. Thank you for your text. You don't need to uh, send them anymore. Thank you. Beautiful. Borky loves it when the text line gets flooded. Uh, Borky will send you a message uh, in which he will encourage you to send him your contact information, uh, mailing address, phone number, email address, whatnot, so that we can uh, get the tickets to you 
when uh, the time comes. So thanks for participating, and thanks to uh, the good folks at uh, Bancorp South Arena who are hosting Leonard Skinner on Friday, October 16th. What, what was I even asking that got was to talking Pat about 40. Gabriel's? Oh, yeah. Uh, Pat Forty got an advanced look at the HBO documentary on college basketball, and uh, he wrote about it. And Borky, it... Uh, I don't think this is going to be good for LSU or for Arizona. No, no, it's not. Um, everything's there, basically. We get to hear the uh, the strong, you know what, offer uh, the whole audio, but there's even more to it than that. Basically, what we told you about the other day is going to be confirmed true. Some of this audio they didn't use in court, which is a, a little surprising, but you are going to hear straight from them what they offered, who they offered it to, the conversations, it's all going to be there. And and when does this air? I don't remember. I'll look it up and, and let you know before we hit the, the hard it, break it's here. It's soon, right? Oh, it's uh, March 31st. Oh, wow. Gosh. And then there's no sports at all, so that will be something that everybody watches. I'm not sure that I've got access to HBO, but I will be buying a an HBO Go subscription even if it's temporarily. Well, they probably or, got a uh, week-long free trial. Just make a new email or something, and you can <laughs> get seven days for free. All right, Borky, how do you normally do this? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's called The Scheme, and it chronicles Christian Dawkins' wild ride from aspiring agent to central figure in the federal investigation of corruption in college basketball. I love Pat Forty. He, write, he writes, I watched an advanced copy of the movie this week. The audio, some of which was not entered into federal court, has never been heard before. Will provide pertinent first-hand information for NCAA investigators working to finalize cases involving LSU and Arizona. Much of that information comes from the mouths of the coaches themselves. That is a significant development. So the NCAA may not get what it wants from the feds, but it's getting what it needs from HBO. As one does. Okay, question on the table. Obviously, we are in strange times right now. Today should be the opening day of the NCAA men's basketball tournament, which would have included the LSU Tigers, coached by Will Wade. Would Arizona have been in the field? That's a good question. I don't remember. They were sitting fifth in the Pac-12. Probably not. Probably not. So... LSU would have been in. So the question on the table is, will Will Wade be the head coach of LSU when they open their season in November? And what's crazy is if he is not, he will have had back-to-back teams that he coached in the regular season that either made or would have made the NCAA tournament and would have never coached an NCAA tournament game at LSU. That is is crazy. Sports Talk Mississippi. We will be right back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm, rolling into the 5 o'clock hour on this Thursday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. We'll cycle back to uh, where we began the show today with just a couple of news things that uh, we need to make sure you have uh, heard about or have seen 
uh, as we have uh, gone throughout the day today. I know some of you still working, maybe some of you just kind of completely disconnected, but listening to this show this afternoon on the coronavirus front in Mississippi. Governor Tate Reeves signed an executive order today closing all schools in Mississippi until April 17th. He made the announcement on a uh, Facebook Live video and encouraged everyone to not use this time as a vacation or uh, to be reckless, but rather to stay home, practice social distancing, um, all the things that uh, we've been encouraged over and over and over to do. That is on the uh, the front in Mississippi, the coronavirus front in Mississippi. The number of cases are going up uh, as well, and, and that's as expected. It's not a surprise. It's not a reaction. Uh, the Mississippi Department of Health website currently shows 16 new cases reported as of, oh, I think that's for the reporting period that ended at 4 o'clock yesterday, but then they updated each day. Is that Am I reading that right, Borky? Does that sound right? It does. Okay, so reporting ends at 4 o'clock, and then the following morning they update. So these were today – this was today's update. So 16 new cases yesterday in Mississippi, bringing the total to 50. I think, just based on some kind of anecdotal evidence, you're going to see a pretty, pretty good spike tomorrow in the number of new cases that are reported in Mississippi and also the total number of cases. Uh, Lafayette County, where I live, had its first case reported. Uh, I've heard, again, anecdotally, some other places, uh, some other counties uh, where you've got additional cases that are popping up. That's just going to be par for the course for a little while. We're, we're going to get that. We're going to get the number of cases continuing to increase. And nobody's immune from this, right? Right. I mean, there are things that we can do to help our chances, but if you're not taking the proper precautions, you're not immune. We find that out today with Sean Payton, head coach of the New Orleans Saints, who is coronavirus positive. He's on the downside of it and apparently did not have any serious reaction or, or serious um, side effects or symptoms or however we're going to describe it, but he's got it. So you've got NBA guys that have gotten it, NFL guys, it's hit Hollywood. It has hit um, the wealthy. It has hit the poor. It has hit pretty much every age bracket. Kids, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Obviously, when you get into the older age categories, you're talking about the uh, the folks that are more vulner- vul- vulnerable. And obviously people, as you've heard over and over and over, who have pre-existing medical conditions, heart conditions, uh, lung conditions, um, you know, who are immuno- immunocompromised uh, at any level, uh, you're more susceptible. You're more at risk. And that's why we're going to continue to see these numbers go up until, Borky, people do what they're being asked to do. Uh, it's the only way that we're going to slow the spread. Yeah, and, and that's what happened Period. in South Korea. South Korea did not have a, a countrywide shutdown where you couldn't go anywhere. They just they abided by the, you know, don't go into public places, don't pack your bars, stay at home, hunker down, only travel when absolutely necessary. They did not have a countrywide shutdown, and they're on the back end of this thing for sure. So all we have to do is just listen to the smart people uh, do what they tell us to do, and the faster we do that, the faster life gets back to normal. Yes, 
That certainly is the uh, is the hope. There are uh, look. I mean, I'm not about to engage in fear mongering, but uh, there are as many stories that you can find out there as you want to that paint a rosy picture or paint a dreadful picture, and you hope that the uh, the truth is somewhere in between. Rosy does not seem like a uh, likely outcome. You just hope that um, that that some of the worst case scenarios don't come to uh, don't come to pass. Um, the Senate has taken up a one trillion dollar aid proposal, uh, but that was a White House slash Republicans in the Senate bill that has been put together uh, with no uh, Democrat input. Uh, bottom line, there is going to be a big aid bill, and I think the frustrating thing here is. You know, Congress tells you all the time, well, it's got to go through this committee and that committee and this and that. And that. Shut up. When you want to get something done fast, you get something done fast. And so when Congress decides it is important enough uh, to put an aid package out or put some sort of a uh, relief or bailout, however you want to describe it, in play, then they'll get that done. But until they decide it's important enough for them to do that, we're going to sit and we're going to read stories about, well, the Republicans proposed this and the Democrats proposed this. The White House wants this. Yeah, well, whatever. You guys just keep sitting up there in your ivy, ivory tower bickering and keep uh, allowing small businesses to suffer, big businesses to suffer. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to be jaded about this thing. No, you're not. But you're saying exactly what needs to be said, man. I, I read a story this morning. Broken. Yes. I read a story this morning that said tens of thousands of people in New Orleans are expected to be let go from their jobs because they work in tourist-based, whether it be restaurants or bars or whatever, and maybe they'll get the opportunity to come back. But until this passes, they said tens of thousands of people will lose their jobs in New Orleans. And we have tourism-based infrastructure, I guess, or a tourism-based economy in a lot of places here in this state. So you can probably expect something similar eventually here. I was listening to an interview earlier with uh, a representative from the hotel industry. I mean, think about how many hotel workers are about. I mean, they're shutting down. Las Vegas is completely shut down. You've got empty hotels in big cities all over the country. You've got empty hotels in smaller countries. And and the the point that I, I thought was worth underscoring, because it would be real easy to take hotels, Hilton, Marriott, Ritz-Carlton, the Four Seasons, you know, uh, Microtel Inn, whatever you want to take. They're like, oh, those big corporations, we're not bailing them out. Until you realize that the overwhelming majority of those properties are owned by individuals or small groups. And while they're not small business in the way that we look at, you know, a mom-and-pop shop, on the square or on Main Street or a locally owned restaurant or convenience store, they still fall in the small business category. And those folks are hurting. And they don't have money coming in. How do they pay their employees? And so you've got unemployment there. And if you don't have jobs and you're an hourly worker, how do you pay your rent? Or how do you pay your mortgage? And the, 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 the far-reaching impacts of this are... It's impossible to wrap your mind around. Because every time you get to a point where you go, well, okay, yeah, you got to help small business, but what about airlines? Well, we can't bail out airlines because, you know, all they're worried about is making money for their shareholders. Oh, okay, I don't disagree with that. 
You know how many people work in the airline industry in the United States? 11 million. Now, are all 11 million of those folks going to be laid off? Of course not. What if half of them are laid off? What if you have to lay off 5.5 million people in the airline industry? Well, they'll come back. Well, of course they're going to come back. But if you don't have a paycheck and you don't have six months or a year's worth of an emergency fund to cover all your bills, what the heck are you going to do? Are we just going to suspend mortgage payments? Are we going to suspend rent? Well, what about a landlord who is renting a property to you, but the property's not paid for? They've got a note on it. Oh, and they've got their own home that they've got to pay for. Yeah. I mean, it's... I mean, it, it, well, Borky, at this point, you almost wish there was a button, like a big pause button, where you just press pause and allow this, like, on everything but coronavirus and let COVID-19 do its thing and play out and then press start and start the entire economy back. Just everybody stop. No bills get paid. Stop trading on stock market. Let's, let's just get through this, and then we'll press start again. It doesn't work that way, though. No, not at all. It's not possible. I guess that's probably the most coronavirus we've talked specifically outside of, you know, just individual stuff. It's just a lot to think about. This is real life. And the more it goes on, the heavier the impact is going to be. So you just hope that whatever was discovered in France in this malaria pill, maybe it works. You know, I mean, that's the best case scenario. And hopefully it works. I guess what we're saying is we're not going anywhere and we're here for you and we're with you. But I think we all are empathizing right now. Because your situation and my situation and Haydad's situation and Rippy's situation and Sally's situation and Annie's situation may all be a little bit different. But we've all got a situation we're having to deal with one way or the other. football fix, but today let's call it the college basketball fix. It's still brought to you by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford tough. Let's bring in Richard Williams, former head basketball coach at Mississippi State, color analyst for the Mississippi State Basketball Radio Network and uh, frequent guest here. He joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team Coach, if you are a basketball junkie, it certainly is a sad day today because this and tomorrow are two of the greatest days on the entire sports calendar, the first two days of the NCAA tournament, and we're never going to know whether or not Mississippi State was going to be one of the 68 teams included in the field. No, we won't because, uh, you know, like other teams, uh, Mississippi State uh, was not able to play in the SEC tournament to see if they would have qualified uh yeah, I, I'm of the opinion that, that they needed to win a couple of games uh, in that tournament. Uh, I know Coach Allen was hoping they would get Florida in that first game because Florida was a team that was supposed to be in, and then if they're uh, able to beat Florida, then obviously would play Kentucky uh, if everything went according to seeding in the second game. So uh, I think Coach Allen and others felt like that was Mississippi State's opportunity to get in the tournament was to be able to play Florida and Kentucky in those first two games. We'll never know. And, uh, you know, it felt like things were trending in the right direction. And, um, 
I guess we just kind of sit back and uh, and we'll always wonder what if. One thing we don't have to wonder what if is uh, looking back. What stands out to you about that 1995-96 season, the uh, the run to the 1996 Final Four? Um, I, I want to walk through the, the individual games in a minute, but, but I am curious, kind of big picture, what stands out to you? Well, you know, there are a lot of things. Uh, the, the team in general, uh, how they progressed throughout the year. You know, some, some people tend to forget that we had three new starters on that team. Uh, our, our team in 95 had gone to the Sweet 16 and lost to the eventual national champions, UCLA. And we lost three starters off that team. We lost uh, T.J. Honore, who I think is the most underrated point guard that I've ever coached at Mississippi State. He was just an outstanding player. We lost Brian Price, who was our starting four-man, and then Marcus Grant, who, again, is another underrated player at Mississippi State. He was a really, really good uh, defender, perimeter shooter, skill level, and a great leader. So we lost those three players that we had to replace. Uh, Marcus Buller became the starting point guard. Uh, he was not a real point guard. He, had, he was a shooter in high school, a scorer, averaged almost 40 points a game. Uh, Russell Walters became our starter at the four position. And then Dante Jones, who we brought in from junior college, uh, became the starter at the three position in Marcus's place. So we had to get those three guys uh, into the starting lineup. And, and with Marcus and Russell, they had been there, and they had played a lot of minutes the year before. Dante was a different story. You know, he was a junior college player who, who was the most talented player I've ever coached. And it, it took him a while to get into what we were trying to do, the system, the, the defending, the, the effort that we played with. And, and there were times early in the season where I sat Dante and, and uh, received a lot of criticism for it, to be honest. Uh, on the call-in shows, uh, fans sitting behind the bench, uh, they, they were all over me about that. But, but I do think as the season progressed and Dante bought into his role on the team, uh, it, it made us a much better team. Uh, I was thinking about it today, Richard, though, the one, the one play, that, that I remember vividly that stands out to me that just epitomized what that team was about. We had we were playing uh, Cincinnati to go to the Final Four, and Whit Hughes was in the game, and Whit Hughes is a, uh, played at a private school in Jackson. His dad was a lawyer, played at Jackson Prep. He takes a charge late in that game uh, in a critical situation, and all of a sudden here comes Daryl Wilson, a kid from a small-town Alabama school, Kennedy High School, raised by his grandparents, totally different socioeconomic backgrounds. And here comes Daryl Wilson and pounces right on top of Whip while he's on the floor. And he's right in his face congratulating him, almost hugging him for being willing to take that charge. And, and I think that's what that team was about. Uh, with a lot of different personalities, a lot of different likes and dislikes, before the year was over, they became a real team. They became brothers, and they all... They, they sacrificed for the goal of winning. And that one play stands out to me that epitomizes what that team was about. It feels like people almost forget that you lost, what, six SEC games that year? Is that right? Ten and six I in the we SEC? I think ten and six, yes. Yes. Most of them early. We were not playing very well early. We In non-conference play, I think we were ten and one. We lost to uh, Little Rock, University of Arkansas Little Rock, coached by Wimp Sanderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, uh, they had of a course player named Derek Fisher on that team who, uh, you know, fans of basketball know went on a long career in the NBA, and I think Derek uh, lit us up for about 30 that night. But we lost them on a tip-in at the buzzer, 
Uh, and we were winning games, but we weren't playing well. I knew we weren't playing up to the talent level we had. But as I've already said, it was, we had three new starters, including Dante, and he was trying to figure it all out. So we, we were winning on talent and effort and things like that. But we weren't winning because we were playing well. And, and we, we lost a couple of conference games early. And I remember coming back from South Carolina. We lost to South Carolina on the road. And I said to the coaches, if we don't start playing better, I don't know who we could beat. Uh, and, huh. and then we, you know, we lost to uh, Kentucky early by a wide margin. And uh, then all of a sudden, it, it turned around. We beat Tennessee. Uh, we started playing a little better. Dante started playing better. And then obviously before the year was over, we played. We were playing really well down the stretch. Uh, but we, we were only 10-6 and six in the league that year. So, uh, you know, it, it's not like we were a super team. But before the year was over, uh, I thought we were probably as good as anybody in the country. You know, we, we did beat Kentucky in the SEC tournament that year, and that's the, the Kentucky team that I still think is the best college team of all time. That, that, that they won and won the national championship. And, and people don't remember this or they don't know this. That Kentucky team had nine players that eventually played in the NBA. Nine on the same team that played in the NBA. That's how talented that team was. I can't think of a team before or since that had that kind wow. of talent. Just looking at that Kentucky roster, I mean, that was uh, that was Tony Delk, who was a senior, and you had Wayne Turner on that team. He was just a freshman. Nas Muhammad, Derek Anderson, and Antoine Walker, and Ron Mercer, and Walter McCarty. Good grief. That was a loaded Kentucky team. Uh, no question. They finished 34-2. and two. One of those two losses was to Mississippi State. That was after going undefeated in the uh, the regular season, 16-0 in the regular season, and then lose to Mississippi State in the championship game. I, I've heard it said before that, you know, you know, you never want to lose, but sometimes a loss is at a good time. You were playing so well at the end of the year. Did you feel great about riding the momentum of the SEC tournament title into the NCAA tournament, or were you worried at all about a letdown, kind of transitioning from that Sunday to the next Thursday or Friday, whenever your first game of the tournament was? Well, I was a little worried about it, obviously. We got the Thursday game. I was hoping we would get a Friday game, but we got the Thursday game against Virginia Commonwealth, coached by Sonny Smith, one of my best friends in coaching. Sonny Smith and Wimp Sanderson, my two best friends in coaching. And really? so we got we drew uh, VCU the first game, and, and we did have a letdown. We didn't play great against VCU, uh, but we were good enough without playing our best to win that game. I uh, had a lot of contributions in that game from Tyrone Washington and Bart Heights, the guys that came off the bench. And our team that year was not deep. You know, our, our bench consisted of Bart Heights, a freshman, Tyrone Washington, a freshman, and Whit Hughes, who had started his career there as a walk-on. That was our bench. We, we played eight guys. That was it, unless somebody got injured, foul trouble, unless we had a big leader, unless we were way behind it at the end of the game. So we didn't have great depth on that team, but our bench helped us win that game. Uh, and then after that, we, we played Princeton in the second round and, and just dominated them because we were just so much bigger and stronger and just better. And from that point on, uh, we really were, were playing great. And Dante had really started playing like a first-round draft pick, which he did eventually become at the end of that season. So you beat Auburn in the quarterfinals of the SEC. You beat Georgia in the semis and then Kentucky in the championship game. 58-51 over VCU in the opening round game. You mentioned Princeton, and the athletic ability and the size was so different. But Princeton's one of those teams that always gives you headaches because of the discipline with which they run their offense, right? Well, there's no question about that. And, you know, I, I, being a basketball fan, I followed Princeton uh, during their runs in the NCAA tournament when they played Georgetown and people like that and, and had near upsets in almost every game. 
And it might have been a good thing. We only had one day to prepare for Princeton. And that could have been a good thing huh. because they are really hard to prepare for. So we didn't overcomplicate it. Uh, we made some changes during the game. We adjusted a couple of things as the game went on. Uh, and so, you know, sometimes if you have too much time to prepare for a team like that, you can over-prepare and overthink it. Uh, but we didn't have to do that. And, and it, 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 I don't think it was going to matter because our team at that point, they, they wanted to get to the Sweet 16 again and they wanted to go further. But, but as good as the Princeton team was and as well coached as they were by the you know, Hall of Famer Pete Carrill, we were just too big, too strong, too athletic. And, and they just couldn't handle Eric Dampier inside. And we were just too good for Princeton at that point in time. Coach, I know we only asked you for one segment. Could you possibly hang on for one more so that we could talk about the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight and then playing in the Final Four? Absolutely. Whatever you want me to do, Rich. I love it. I love it. We'll take a, a quick timeout. It's Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. So we've gotten you through the first-round win over VCU, through the second-round win over Princeton. We'll talk Sweet 16 against UConn, Elite Eight against Cincinnati, and then a trip to the Final Four when we continue with Richard Williams in just a couple of minutes on the Farm Bureau phone line. Back with you and continuing our conversation on the Farm Bureau phone line with Richard Williams, former head basketball coach at Mississippi State, led the Bulldogs to their only Final Four appearance in 1996. And, uh, Coach, kind enough to uh, stick with us through the break. I, I apologize for the length of the commercial breaks. Uh, we get we got bills to pay, though, Coach. <laughs> Don't we all? And in this time, yes. it's getting more difficult every day. Yes, yes, that is a, a true statement. All right, so so let's pick up. We've got uh, we've got you beating VCU in the first round, fifty-eight, fifty-one, and then no trouble with Princeton in the second round. Now you get to the Sweet Sixteen, so second weekend of the tournament, and I, I don't know if this is catching a break or not, but you're relatively close to home, right? I mean, Rupp Arena in Lexington. How big a Mississippi State crowd was there there for those two games on March twenty-second and twenty-fourth of nineteen ninety-six? Well, we had a good contingent. Uh, we had a lot of Mississippi State fans make the trip uh, to Rupp Arena. And, you know, it was familiar with us because uh, we had played at Rupp the year before uh, in 95. And, and as a footnote, we, we won at Rupp Arena in 1995 for the first time in the history of our university to win a game at Rupp Arena. So uh, our players who were on the team that had played there the year before, they felt comfortable playing in that arena. UConn. Uh, they were Big East regular season and tournament champs that year. They were a three seed in the tournament. What was the challenge going into that game against a, a really good basketball team? Well, the, their guard play was really good. Uh, Ray Allen, who basketball fans are certainly familiar with, longtime NBA player, just probably the best pure shooter I've ever coached against or maybe I've ever even seen. And then they had a guy named Ron Sheffer uh, from Israel who had played on the national team over there for several years and a very experienced player, and they were just so much bigger than our guards. Uh, Ray Allen was like 6'4", 6'5", Sheffer 6'5". Uh, and I remember the TV announcers talking about those matchups with our guards, Marcus Bullard at 6'3", and Darrell Lewis at 6'1", uh, how critical that those matchups were going to be. And we started the game with Darrell Wilson guarding uh, uh, Ray Allen. And, and Ray just uh, shot right over the top of Darrell. He was just too small to guard him. And, and Early in the game, we switched Marcus Bullard onto Ray Allen, and even though Marcus didn't have that the, the height, uh, he's so strong he kind of pushed Ray Allen around and got him out of his favorite spots. And 
and uh, did an excellent job guarding. Now, he ended up with a lot of points, but I, I think I remember a stat, and this will be close. He was like 8 for 23 or 24 or something like that to get his points. So uh, that was the big change. Uh, and then Travis Knight against Eric Dampier uh, was the other big matchup. Travis Knight was their center who played a long time in the NBA. Uh, and, and they pressed. They did those kinds of things. But we handled their press and, and – uh, Guarded them. Uh, I think we held them less to 40% shooting, so it, it was another excellent defensive performance by Mississippi State. And now you're really getting into high cotton. I mean, teams get to the Sweet 16, okay, you make it to the second weekend, but then when you win in the Sweet 16, you're a win away from the Final Four, and you've got Cincinnati, who is a seven seed, um, but if I remember correctly, like the Cincinnati teams that you kind of think of in your mind, tough, physical, a little nasty. What was that game like? A ten point win for you, seventy three sixty three. Well, you're, you're exactly right. You know, they were coached by Bob Huggins, and, and their whole persona was we're bigger, stronger, more physical, and tougher uh, than anybody else. And now, you know, you talk about the proximity of our fans to Rupp Arena. We're playing Cincinnati. Cincinnati is almost right across the river from Rupp Arena, so they had yeah. a huge contingent of fans there. Uh, but they, you know, the, the whole pregame stuff was about how strong they were and how many guys they had could bench press over 300 pounds. And all the media and the press conferences kept talking about that. And one of the things I remember most, and really humorous at the time, uh, they, our guys were in the press conference and the media kept talking about how many big, strong guys Cincinnati had. And Eric Dampier sitting there and he listened to that stuff for a little while. And Eric's a man of few words, but finally he said, well, you know what, Mississippi State, we lift weights, too. And that's about all he said. <laughs> and, and I just thought that was so funny. You know, we lift weights, too, at Mississippi State. And, uh, you know, it was a very, very physical game. And we liked that kind of game. I mean, Russell Walker, 6'10", 240, 250. Eric Dampier, 6'11", 265. Dante Jones is about 230. Bullard's 200 and some pounds. Daryl's 200. We didn't back down from anybody physically. And so that was the kind of game we really liked. Did you ever – would you have imagined that Eric Dampier would have had the career that he had in the NBA? I mean, we're talking like a decade and a half and, what, over $100 million earned, but just success on top of success on top of success. Well, I, in today's NBA, Eric probably would not be that guy because in, in today's NBA, there's not a high demand for low-post players. You know, it's all about spreading the court, shooting three-point shots, all that kind of stuff. But at that point in time, uh, there was a demand for players like Eric. And there aren't many human beings that are 6'11", 260 pounds, with shoulders really wide, little narrow hips that can run like a deer. There just aren't many human beings like that, Richard. And so there was a demand for Eric Dampier. And even though he wasn't a big scorer in the NBA, he was a valuable commodity defending, rebounding, and those kinds of things. Plus, tremendously high character. One of the best people that you could ever want to be around and ever want to coach. All right, so you win the game against Cincinnati. What's the pomp and circumstance like? What's the feeling going into the Final Four? I mean, obviously you're going there to try and win a national championship. you got to win two games to do that. But there's so much buildup for that event, and you're playing it in the shadow of New York City, right there, just across the river in East Rutherford. Well, it, it, it was some. It was something like we we had never been involved with, obviously. And, uh, you know, the media attention all of a sudden was more than we'd ever had. You know, in Starville, Mississippi, 
Uh, you've been there many times. It's kind of like Oxford. Uh, the, the, the national media is not descending on you every day. And after we qualify for the Final Four, we come back to start with the next week for practice. And we've got national media uh, there at practice. We, we have to set up tables for our, our different players to be interviewed by, by the media. So it, it, it was an overwhelming thing. And, and I know now, after having been through it one time, why coaches that have been the second time, they're better prepared. They know more what to prepare for and what the distractions are going to be in terms of ticket requests and media attention and all those things. And we go into New York, and we get off the bus at the hotel, and there's Mike Tirico with, with a microphone in my face as soon as I step off the bus. Well, we didn't have that kind of attention in Starkville, Mississippi. Uh, so it, it was a tremendous change for us, and it was a little bit overwhelming. It, it, it really was. And then we're playing Syracuse, which is basically the hometown team, and they had been there before. Jim Beheim had been there before. He knew what the distractions were. Uh, but I, I do think we had a better team than Syracuse. We just didn't play better that particular day. Uh, and it's one of those games I look back on, and I, as as I think about all the time, and Coach Allen, I've talked about it this year, every time you lose a game as a coach, you think, what could I have done different to make a difference? And there are a lot of things I could have done differently in that game that would have made a difference as I look back in hindsight. I know you would have loved to have had one more shot at Kentucky. You had beaten them, what, three weeks before at that point in the SEC championship game. You mentioned having lost to them handily earlier in the season. Would you have liked your chances against Kentucky playing for a national title? I don't know if I'd have liked my chances, but I would have liked a chance <laughs> to play The against. opportunity. Now, yeah, I love the opportunity. Now, all of our fans think Kentucky was scared to play us again. Well, that's, that's the furthest thing the truth that's ever been. Rick, I know Rick Pitino, having been in meetings with him, having competed against him, and done clinics with him. He wanted to play Mississippi State again, I can promise you, because they wanted a chance to redeem themselves from that loss. Now, could we beat them again? I don't know. That's one of those things, again, we will never know. But we certainly would have loved the opportunity to compete for a national championship. Fondest memory for you, and this may be kind of where we began at the at the beginning, of that team, that 1996 team beginning to end? Just the players and, and how far they progressed. Uh, a quick story, Richard, and we talked about it earlier. We weren't playing well as the season was going on. We got into conference play. And, and I'll never forget Martin Luther King Holiday. I brought the team together. We didn't even practice that day uh, because I, I had to do something. I had to change the culture. And, and we talked about the differences of Russell Walters, a country kid from Myrie, Dante Jones, a city kid from Nashville. One like country music, one like whatever it was back then. I don't know if it was hip-hop, rap, whatever. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't what Russell liked. Uh, and, and we talked about the differences, and we talked about Dr. King and what he stood for. And, and I talked about, you know, we're all, we all have the same goal. We all are trying to win. Just because your teammate may be different than you, One's not necessarily good and the other bad. It's just differences. And, and I, I'll say this, and I, don't, I might get in trouble for saying this on the air, but we made a rule that day. The white guys get to pick the music one day a week in the dressing room. So before the year was over, Dante Jones was singing George Jones and things like that. It, it was amazing to hear. One day a week. <laughs> yeah, one day a week. They got to pick the music in the, in the locker room. But I, I, I don't know how much effect it had, but whatever effect it did have, Richard, from that point on, our team really came together and became a team and became a team of brothers who really loved each other. And that, that's the thing I remember about that team as much as anything else. Dante Jones, 
Daryl Wilson, Merle Haggard. I love yes, it. Yes, sir. <laughs> that is fantastic. Hey, Coach, I really appreciate you spending some time with us this afternoon. I know there are a bunch of Mississippi State fans who maybe are looking for a little bit of an escape that uh, really probably enjoyed walking down memory lane with you. Always well, a pleasure to visit you, with Richard. you. I really do. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. That is Richard Williams, former head basketball coach at Mississippi State, color analyst on the radio for Mississippi State basketball. That was a heck of a lot of fun. We'll take a timeout. Coach Williams joined us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.